In this episode, I wrap up the Polyvagal 101 series by looking at self-regulation and co-regulation. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, I recommend you go back to episode 101 for the beginning of the Polyvagal 101 series. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. And of course, before I get into things, please put yourself first. I do keep every episode as safe as I can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up for yourself, so please take a break if you need to. This podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. The topic here is regulation, and that would be co-regulation and self-regulation. Regulation in and of itself is basically the capacity to regulate the autonomic nervous system. In other words, to climb your own polyvagal ladder. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, again, go back to episode 101, start from the beginning, and all these pieces will make sense. Regulating the autonomic nervous system and climbing the polyvagal ladder means that we're going from a defensive autonomic state, flight, fight, shutdown, freeze, out of that, up the polyvagal ladder into a state of safety and social engagement coming out of defense and into social engagement. That was, that's what regulation is. And we know there's a problem with regulation if that individual cannot climb up their polyvagal ladder into their state of safety and social engagement. Outside of the context, you know, maybe in the context they're in, that's simply not warranted. Maybe they need to be in a defensive state, and that, that's different. We're talking about when someone's in environmental safety when somebody has in safe uh, relationships in their life and they have a difficult time climbing their polyvagal ladder, that's when we know there's a problem with, with regulation. But there are two types of regulation, and one of them is co-regulation, and the other one is self-regulation. We're going to talk about both of these in this episode, and the first one we're going to go into is co-regulation. Co-regulation is one type of regulation of the autonomic nervous system, and it's something that happens between to mammalian organisms. Only mammals have the capacity for social interaction and receiving cues of safety from other mammals to help them into their ventral vagal state of safety and social engagement. Birds don't really do that. Fish don't really do that. They don't really provide cues of safety to each other that allow for uh, ongoing social engagement. Co-regulation is not uh, self-driven. It's not really something that we choose to take part in exactly. We kind of, but not really. But it's also not something that's imposed by someone onto somebody else. Somebody can affect somebody else, of course, but it's not something that somebody can choose to do to somebody else. That's not co-regulation. Co-regulation is something that we receive, and for the most part, it's a passive reception. Co-regulation and neuroception uh, basically go hand in hand. Again, neuroception, go back to episode 101, and you can uh, learn about what that is. But basically, neuroception is a process of detecting safety or danger from other people or from the environment. But the most important part of neuroception is that it is unconscious. We unconsciously detect cues of safety from people who are in a well-regulated state. We can also unconsciously detect cues of danger from people who are not in a well-regulated state. But it's unconscious. We don't choose to receive these 
and we don't exactly choose how to respond to them either. When we receive cues of safety from people, that is co-regulation. Or that's at least one half of co-regulation, which is the providing of safety cues. The other half is that the person who is in a defensive state is able to utilize that unconsciously to climb their own polyvagal ladder and into their state of safety and social engagement. So mammals have this ability to help each other regulate for optimal levels of health and growth and restoration. Mammals are are very much interconnected in this way. There are things that we provide to each other that signal safety. And we have in our DNA the ability to detect these signals, which will help us to regulate. So things like smiles, things like eye crinkles, and eyebrow usage, being able to use your eyebrows, using your upper cheek area, basically the, the top part of your face, the eyebrows, eyes, the upper cheeks, if you can use that area that shows that you're potentially a pretty safe mammal. When mammals are safe, they have a greater range of motion. They're less stiff. They also have vocal prosody, which is that uh, greater range of voice where you can go up and down. And you can really use your voice to express how safe or dangerous you are. More safety means more vocal range. This is different than if we have like wide eyes or stiffness in our muscles. Or if we smile, but there's no upper cheek movement. These would signal that we're not safe, then we're not in a state of safety, at least that we're in a defensive state. If I then gave those defensive cues to you and you saw them, first off, I didn't choose to give them. I just am in a state to where I I cannot show safety. Your system picks up on that and that would send you down the ladder. Likewise, if I was in a really well-regulated state and had smiles and vocal prosody, and eye crinkles, you would pick up on that as well. And that would tell you, the organism you, it would tell that I am safe and that would help you to be in your own state of safety. None of this is chosen. None of this is chosen. It is possible to fake these, I think, but um, I think that a well-regulated person more or less can detect, will at least feel like something's off. Like if somebody has a fake smile, you you can feel it. Parents, when you're irritated as all heck that your children won't go to bed or brush their teeth and you know you're supposed to have vocal prosody and ask nicely and you fake it like it just, you know it's fake, they know it's fake, it sounds fake. You you can't fake that stuff. You, you can, well, you, you can fake it, but the other person knows it's not real. Those other defensive signals like tense muscles and a rush tone of voice maybe, or or shorter breaths. Those kind of negate the fake vocal prosody of a parent trying to get their kid to bed. I think though that sociopaths and con artists and frauds and swindlers, hucksters and mountebanks, they're able to fake it pretty convincingly though. I think it's kind of their superpowers that somehow they're able to fake these without the empathy necessary to change their own behavior in a pro-social way. A baby receives co-regulation from a parent that, ha- that does have that soothing voice, that does have that gentle touch, that does have that patience and can be with them in their, their crying, their pain. The baby doesn't choose to calm itself. It doesn't choose to receive those co-regulative cues of safety from the parent. No, it just receives them. 
the baby as an organism detects safety from that parent, which then triggers their own political shifts, none of it's chosen. It's really important to surround ourselves with people who are able to provide co-regulation. We can't compel them to co-regulate with us. We can't compel them to give cues of safety. And if you try, I don't think it'll work out very well. But it is important for us to surround ourselves as much as we can with people that are safe, that are in their state of safety and overall well-regulated. Safe people, friendships, safe relationships. No, this is not always possible or easy. And you know, maybe you have safe people at home, but at work, it, it's not the case, right? So maybe we have it one place, but not another. If you have that, it's definitely better than nothing. Having one person in your life that is safe and a co-regulator is better than having nobody. For you, that might be your therapist. I hear that a lot, that myself as a therapist is that one person, that person's life, my client's life, that provides them with safety and co-regulation. And if you don't even have that, I, I think it's possible to even get co-regulation from the media that we take in. But let's first talk about what's not co-regulation. So watching news clips repeatedly or over and over again or back to back, that does not provide co-regulation. Like if all of a sudden I started talking week after week about all those liberals or those conservatives who are obviously racist and don't care about others and all their policies are disastrous and they're to blame for everything wrong with this country, then this would feed into your defensive energy, right? If I started going into that and then the next podcast you listened to went into that and then you went onto YouTube and it was video after video about these people and those people and how they, you get the idea. That's not co-regulation. But if you listen to a prosodic voice in a meditation, that might provide you with some level of co-regulation. Even listening to highly prosodic music, the voice in the song does provide you with some level of safety. So I think even if you don't have anybody in your life, it is possible to start to find these pieces elsewhere. And of course, we want you to find that in real life with a real person, but we, we look for the wins where we can get them. The co-regulation that we receive growing up is absolutely foundational to our ability to do something called self-regulation. And that's the next type of regulation, self-regulation. Self-regulation is the capacity to regulate your own autonomic nervous system. So basically solo, like you're, you can self-regulate. That means you can climb your polyvagal ladder on your own. You can go from a defensive state up the ladder into a state of safety and social engagement. This ability, again, to self-regulate, like I said earlier, it's, it's extremely dependent on the modeling and the experience of co-regulation that you have or had early on in life. Self-regulation is built on co-regulation. Like, it's just that simple. If we don't receive co-regulation, then the capacity to self-regulate is, is uh, way diminished. Traumatized individuals have a hard time with this, this self-regulation stuff. They're more stuck down their ladder, down their polyvagal ladder in a, in a defensive state, like we talked about uh, last episode. Traumatized individuals are stuck down their uh, polyvagal ladder in a state of defense. They're experiencing the world through a filter of defense because whatever state we're in, that becomes our filter for the world. So their capacity to notice safety, to neurocept safety, is compromised. Their neuroception is a bit off. Portis refers to this as unhealthy neuroception or faulty neuroception. Someone who's in a more traumatized state is going to have a very difficult time with being still. 
and self-regulating through something like meditation or yoga kind of requires a pretty good amount of stillness. For someone who's in a stuck defensive state, their ability to look inward and to feel that defensive energy, which is kind of important when it comes to self-regulation, uh, it's, it's going to be off. For that individual, knowing what safety feels like, that might be very new. They may have no frame of reference for feeling safe, which is going to make it a lot harder to self-regulate if you don't know where you're going. It might be very, very new to somebody. It might be very, very new to you, dear listener. And for that individual, they might not even know what brings them to safety. Even if they know what it feels like, they might not know how to, how to get back there. I have a course called Building Safety Anchors that can really help out. My course can really help out with identifying what brings you to safety and also to feel what safety feels like. My course is not about feeling the pain. It's not about going into the trauma story. It's not about you know, pushing through all that stuff. Not, not at all. It's, it's really about identifying what brings you to safety, what safety feels like for you, and to help you to not just identify, but also feel it in bits and pieces. It's a 30-day course that teaches you six different paths to anchoring in safety. And it helps you to not only learn them, but to practice them, to feel those things for 30 days in small doses. You can find that on justinlmft.com or just follow the link in the description of this podcast episode. Part of self-regulation is going to be to recognize where we are currently at. So that means you have to have some idea of the polyvagal ladder and where you exist in it. Self-regulation is climbing the ladder, but you, you can't exactly force it. You first have to recognize where you're at and kind of just allow it to be there, to notice it without trying to change it. That might sound off or odd because you don't want to feel that stuff. And again, my course is not about feeling it, but just in, in general, when it comes to self-regulation, feeling it eventually is kind of a big part of this. And so it's, it's about feeling that defensive energy just as defensive energy, just for what it is, without trying to make it go away. And that's kind of key. And if you do that, your body, if you, if you can listen to the impulses within yourself, it'll tell you what to do next. It'll tell you what to do with that energy or lack of energy. So there might be an impulse on what to do next. Like if you can successfully listen to that feeling of depletion that comes along with your shutdown state, the feeling of loneliness and wanting to isolate, if you can listen to that, the impulse to curl up might be there. And if you listen to that, the impulse to cry might be there. And if you listen to that, the impulse to open your eyes and just look around the room and reorient, that might be there. If you can successfully attune to your sympathetic fight state and just feel that energy within you, you might notice there's an impulse to push. And you can use that energy to push against the wall or to push into your own hands. You can use that impulse for what it's for without harming yourself, without harming anybody else, of course. But you can listen to that energy, that impulse, and that will tell you what to do next. Or it'll at least be a clue. Maybe what to do next is to do nothing, but to just feel it. When I talk here about self-regulation, I'm not talking about self-control. Self-control is not exactly self-regulation, but um, it's definitely better than nothing. So if you have that impulse to harm somebody, you know, some self-control 
would probably be a really good idea, right? That's definitely better than nothing. And maybe self-control can buy you time, but self-control is not exactly, again, not exactly self-regulation. Self-control means you're, you know, white-knuckling it. You're gritting and bearing it. Self-regulation means you're actually allowing yourself to feel it and maybe even welcome it and letting it be there and then doing something that would correspond with that level of energy and doing so mindfully. And if you can do that, then that energy can actually discharge and that will help you. That is climbing the polyvagal ladder. That'll help you get to the next step up or the next rung of the ladder. But hey, self-control is definitely better than nothing. I think it's really important when it comes to self-regulation that we know how to climb our polyvagal ladder depending on what state that we're in. So what works for one state might not work for another state. What works for you in a dorsal vagal shutdown may not work for you when you're in a sympathetic flight-fight state. If you're in a dorsal vagal shutdown and you like to be alone and just sit in the corner and have quiet, that probably won't be what you want in a sympathetic flight state. You might want something that requires more energy, more control, more doing. You'll want something that's physical. That's, that's a lot different. Part of self-regulation then is allowing yourself to feel the feelings and then utilizing something like a movement or a sensory anchor or a thought. Just something that for that state allows it to be there but also allows you to do something with it. That can work by you becoming really curious about what feels right for you, depending on what state you're in. And that means you kind of create this menu of options. Deb Deb Dana talks about this a lot too, that you create a menu of options for what to do based on what state you're in. And you can even write these things down and put them up on a wall somewhere or or on a chalkboard if you have one or a post-it note and slap it on the wall, whatever that you have somewhere at your disposal, like your go-tos, that when I feel this way, this is what works for me. That's the idea here, and that's part of self-regulation, is is knowing what to do with that energy when you do feel it. That's the basic idea when it comes to regulation, co-regulation and self-regulation. That's It's pretty simple. That's about it. And I think that about does it for the Polyvagal 101 series. Pretty much all this information came from uh, Dr. Porges has the clinical application of the polyvagal theory. He also has the pocket guide of the polyvagal theory. And then I read a bunch of Peter Levine. Most of my information comes from those or from their lectures, uh, from their interviews. I had attempted to read the polyvagal theory, Dr. Porges' uh, book, and I didn't get very far in it. It's really heavy. I, I attempted to read that a while back. And I could only get to page like 50 or so. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I just tapped out basically. And because it's extremely academic. Recently, I've, I've started going back into that book and really just taking my time. I basically read a sentence, look up what the hell I just read. Because <laughs> it's, it's heavy, heavy on uh, medical jargon. So I look up what the heck did I just read. Uh, taking lots of notes, breaking things down piece by piece. I'm writing things down by hand while I'm reading it, taking notes by hand, looking up definitions, and then I take all that and type it into this, uh, like a whole separate outline of notes. So basically I'm writing notes twice, but that's helping me process. And as I do this, I'm trying to reword it in my head. 
So I've I've gone back to basics myself, but I'm trying to go back to the basics and then some. I want to, and I feel like I have to get this more academic side of the polyvagal theory down. And so far, it's going really well. It's it's really interesting. I feel like I'm learning more, or at least deeper. So I'm excited about it. And when I've got that down, I'll bring you the crib notes in some fashion. <laughs> I'll bring you my my uh, my breakdown of the polyvagal theory book in some way. But until then, I do hope you've enjoyed not only this episode, but the entire Polyvagal 101 series here. That was, what, nine episodes? Yeah, I hope this has helped you. I hope this has helped you climb your own polyvagal ladder. I hope this has helped you to build some self-regulation. And I hope that my voice has been co-regulative for you as well. I'd love to know what you thought about this this series. So feel free to email me, justinlnft at gmail.com. My Building Safety Anchors course is available at my website, which is justinlmft.com. And that is all. Thanks. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be a specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.